Prodigal, we are so glad you joined us for our brand new sermon series called Skeptics Welcome. Last Sunday was Serve Sunday, and we just want to say thank you to everyone who signed up to volunteer. We couldn't do it without you. And you guys, it's never too late to sign up to volunteer. So if you are interested, head to the app or the website. We had so much fun at our second annual Love the World auction. Together, we raised money for more acts of justice, compassion, and love locally and directly to our ministry partners in Malawi, Africa. We'll have more details on just how much we raised soon. A huge shout out and thank you to everyone who donated and gave their time to make this night a success. We already are looking forward to next year. Easter is just four weeks away. We will be having two services, one at 9 and 10.30, with our annual Easter egg hunt right in between the services at 10.10. This is going to be an incredible morning. We can't wait to celebrate our risen Savior together. The following Sunday, right after Easter, we will be having our spring baptism service. This is one of the best services of the year. If you want to get baptized or would just like more information about what baptism is, feel free to send us an email at prodigalchurchfresno at gmail.com or you can DM us on Instagram or you can reach out to any of the staff. They'd love to talk to you about it. If you're newer to Prodigal, we'd like to encourage you to head over to our website or app and fill out the digital connect card. This is our main communication tool we use to keep everybody informed and updated on all things happening at Prodigal. We are so thankful for your continued support and generosity. If you would like to give to Prodigal Church, you can do so on our app or our website. Also, on your way out of service, you can find the giving boxes and the giving kiosks. That's all for announcements. Thank you guys so much for joining us today for week one of Skeptics Welcome. Happy Sunday, Church. Thursday, my mom and I went skydiving, would you be skeptical? But if I were to say, no, honestly, like she just turned 70 years old and it was a bucket list kind of thing. And I've also always wanted to jump out of an airplane. Would you still be skeptical? What if I were then to, to pull out my phone and show you pictures of my 70 year old mom and my 43 year old self jumping out of an airplane? Would you be skeptical? Well, that could have been photoshopped, or there's no date on the photo that could have been taken at any point. And if I were to then to show you a tiny date at the bottom, the bottom corner showing me and my seven-year-old mom who used to be scared of jumping off a small diving board, all of us jumping off of a plane thousands of feet high, would you then still be skeptical? Today, we start a brand new sermon series called Skeptics Welcome. This is our Lenten series that will lead us to Resurrection Sunday on March 31st. The season of Lent in the church calendar is a season of introspection, a season to look within, a season in which we dive into our doubts and our despair. Throughout this series, we'll explore themes of deconstruction, questions we have about God and the Bible and the unanswered questions that lurk beneath the surface of our souls. It's going to be a good time.
The name Israel, the name for the people of God, comes from Genesis chapter 32. It's a great story. Verse 23, after Jacob had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. The very name for the people of God, Israel, literally means those who wrestle with God or those who struggle with God. If you are going to follow God, you're going to have to wrestle. And Jacob, after this encounter, walks with a limp the rest of his days. Because if you have ever truly wrestled with the divine, you're going to leave limping. You will be changed. This Skeptics Welcome sermon series is about this very wrestling match between humans and God, between us and God. We begin today with a quote from Greg Boyd. The quest to feel certain becomes an idol when a person's sense of significance to God and security before God is anchored not in their simple trust of God's character, as revealed on the cross, but in how certain they feel about the rightness of their beliefs. In the year 2000, I was 19 years old, living in a small village in southeastern Africa. And we visited another small village in Mozambique next to a lake called Mitawa. And when we first entered the village, we, went, we were taken to the home of the chief of the village. And we sat on tree stumps behind a bamboo fence in a dirt courtyard. And we asked for the chief's permission to minister in the village. And one of the relatives of the chief sat on a stump across from me. And he had elephantitis of the foot. It a disease, it's a disease where uh, the foot grew large in size and became wrinkly and callous like that of an elephant. And this man's foot had grown so large that his lower leg was also swollen and calloused. He could no longer walk. Uh, one among our group suggested that we pray for healing of this man's foot. And the chief and the men of the village were kind enough to agree. A dozen or so of other people kind of gathered around to watch us pray for this young man. And at the beginning of the prayer, one of the missionaries stood up and read Jesus' statement, according to your faith, it will be done to you. He then told us that if our faith was free of doubt, that this young man would be healed. And the implication was that if we doubted, he wouldn't be healed. As we entered into prayer uh, for this young man, every one of us in the courtyard felt the pressure to kind of make ourselves certain that this man was in fact going to be healed. And after a couple minutes of praying, uh, the image of the, the lion on the Wizard of Oz kind of came to my mind. Like, I do believe, I do believe, I do believe, I do, I do, I do believe. 
it occurred to me that this was exactly what we were doing. We were trying to talk ourselves into becoming certain, as if faith was some sort of psychological gimmick. And it makes me wonder what kind of God would leverage the disability of this young man on how well we were to perform this mental gymnastics. This mindset or this model reduces faith to a psychological gimmick in which people try to convince themselves that their beliefs are true beyond what the evidence warrants. Is this what faith is? Certainty of beliefs. Because if so, then doubt is of the devil. Now, maybe this is true, okay? Maybe, but I doubt it. Because if you want a doubt-free existence, you chose the wrong species to be a part of. Because doubt is innate to the human experience. Jude 22 says, be merciful to those who doubt. I love that verse. Some of you have been in religious settings where you have not felt free to express your doubts. That maybe you're just not believing hard enough. And Jude says, be merciful to those who doubt. Paul writes elsewhere in Corinthians, we live by faith, not by sight. And when we think about faith, we often think about that the opposite of faith is doubt. But here in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, the Bible doesn't say that we live by faith and not by doubt. It says we live by faith and not by sight. So it appears that seeing something or knowing something in a physical sense is actually the opposite of faith. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Certainty is. Now, as long as you have faith, you will have doubts. Let's say that I have a $5 bill in my hand. Which of you listening online or watching online now believes that who you, do you have the faith that I have a $5 bill in my left hand right now? Do you think this is true? Now, I am going to absolutely destroy your faith right now. How? By opening up my hand and showing you that I do, in fact, have a $5 bill inside my hand. Now, why do I say that I'm going to destroy your faith? Well, because now you can see it. If you're listening online, just pretend I really am holding it. It's not faith anymore if you can see it. It's knowing. It's knowledge. And for some people, faith is believing without a shadow of a doubt. But when all doubt is removed, there is actually no place for faith. Only knowledge. And the Bible doesn't say we live by knowledge. It says we live by faith. We have all had doubts before. I remember doubting God in my teenage years. And I, and I remember making a deal with him. I was laying on my bed and no one was around. And I said to God, if you're real, lift up the alarm clock that's on the nightstand. Okay? That's how we used to wake up back in the day with no cell phones. We would use an actual alarm clock on a nightstand next to our beds. And I was like, God, just lift it up real fast. Like, I'm not gonna tell anyone. Come on, God. And later that year, in the winter, I believed again. And in the Gospels, Jesus walked on the water. And he helps the Apostle Peter walk on the water. So I go outside 
to the pool in my parents' backyard, and I believe that I can walk on water. I believe that according to my faith, I can do this. And I took a step onto that water, and I fell right in, okay? I didn't walk on water, I sunk. I was 18 years old. I had to walk back into my house, like, and my mom saying, what happened? And I'm like, I fell in. Doubt was a part of what happened all those years in that backyard. Doubt was just as much a part of it than faith. And as a pastor, some think we're immune to the doubts that so often pervade the recesses of our minds. Doubt is a dangerous thing for pastors because people often think that we have all the answers. And so if we're not certain, then it gives people the permission to not be certain as well. And listen, certainty sells. Everybody, come on in. We're right, they're wrong. I know for a fact, just listen to me, look to me, and you too can have all of the right answers. You know what doesn't sell? I'm not sure. I'm not sure it doesn't sell quite as well as I have all the answers. And so just to kind of dispel any notion that I or any pastor has all of the answers, let me emphatically say, I'm not sure. I am not certain. When I got married, there was no doubt-free guarantee that it was the right decision and that Sarah was the right person. I thought it was the right decision. I knew I was marrying up because my wife, Sarah, told me that I was marrying up. All men marry up. But there was no guarantee it was the right decision. Many people have asked me, when did you know for sure that Sarah was the one? When did you know without a shadow of a doubt? Well, when I said I do before God and my family and friends. You see, biblical faith isn't about feeling certain, but about a willingness to commit to living for God in the face of uncertainty. We need to accept that uncertainty and doubt are simply a part of what it means to be human and trust God that he loves us. And his love is most perfectly revealed on Calvary's cross, and it isn't dependent on how certain or uncertain we feel. The God revealed on the cross isn't a God who is impressed with people's ability to make themselves feel certain that their beliefs are correct. He's rather a God who simply wants us to trust him in the face of uncertainty by lovingly laying down our lives for him in response of the way he has lovingly laid down his life for us. Lord Tennyson once said, there lies more faith in honest doubt than in half of their creeds. Over the last three decades of following Jesus, I have come to the understanding that doubt can indeed be a doorway for spiritual growth. I was a high school pastor for 11 years, and I loved when students would come up to me and they were just so new, so new to the faith and to Jesus, and they hadn't quite learned to be spiritually dishonest yet. And after one particular service, one student came up to me and asked for prayer, and they said, I'm going through one of those stages when I don't believe that God exists anymore. 
Now, the redemptive irony is amazing and beautiful. Her asking for prayer demonstrated a faith that coexisted with her expressed doubt and questions. And although her doubt is not that rare in Christians, her brutal honesty certainly was. The church has traditionally been not a very good place to express doubt. In fact, it has been one of the worst places to express doubt. It's one of the unspoken rules of Christian spirituality. If you have doubts, whatever you do, don't share them with another Christian. They will think dif different of you. They will consider you less spiritual, and they may end up the ending the conversation with a condescending tone of saying, I'll pray for you. Now, there is nothing wrong with praying for someone with doubts, but there is a lot wrong in the Christian community when we can't be honest and authentic with one another about our own spirituality. Yes, we are a faith community, but the reality of our faith community is there is doubt. The Bible is full of prayers and songs and psalms and poems that express doubt in God. And you know what? God never strikes them down with lightning. The most spiritual people I know are also the most honest and authentic people I know. There is no pretending. They walk in constant communion with the Lord. And even when they doubt that God is with them in that moment, they continue to pursue Jesus. Doubt can lead to a more examined, more thoughtful, more passionate faith. By doubting a belief and then examining it, you can decide to discard it, adjust it, or keep it as is. Short, easy answers are the last thing that doubts and questions need. We've all had doubts. Let me rephrase that. We all doubt. In the Gospel of Mark chapter 9, there's this boy who is demon-possessed, and his father is talking with Jesus. And in speaking about whether he believes God can heal the son, the father tells Jesus, I do believe Help me with my unbelief. Jesus heals the child of this doubting dad, not because of his great faith, but because of his little faith. Jesus, the portrait of God, never condemns doubt. Rather, he says that if you have just a little bit of faith, a mustard seed faith, just a wee bit, you can move mountains. We don't put our faith in faith. We put our faith in God. We don't put our faith in beliefs. We put our faith in Jesus. We don't put our faith in prayer. We put our faith in God. If prayer becomes your good luck charm, it can become an idol. And let me just clear the air about something else. It's normal that when you go through something difficult, you doubt God. That's normal. You're not a bad person. You're not a terrible Christian. Does someone need to hear that today? 
And it is here that I think that the marriage metaphor works yet again, because what happens in marriage, it really is the best picture of biblical faith. The vows of marriage are not so much affirmations of what one believes will take place, but rather promises that one will work towards ensuring that it does indeed happen. To decide for marriage, knowing that all manner of things may conspire against the union, is to make truly a daring and authentic decision. The only type of decision worthy of the name. And it is here we can see that doubt provides the context out of which a real decision occurs in which real love is tested. For love will say yes, regardless of uncertainty. A love that requires contracts and absolute certainty, knowledge and assurance in order to act is not love at all. In the same way, the believer who encounters serious doubt does not renounce his or her faith, but rather uses it as an opportunity to affirm it. Because there is a benefit of the doubt. Wikipedia says that the benefit of the doubt is a favorable judgment in the absence of full evidence. There's this ancient story in the scriptures in the book of Daniel chapter three, where these three Hebrews loyal to God, loyal to Yahweh, are serving in a pagan king's palace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then there's this, this, this terrible edict throughout the kingdom that if nobody bows down to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, well, you're gonna be thrown into a fiery furnace. And these three young men refused to do so. And we read this in Daniel 3, starting at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand. O king, but even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is faith and this is doubt. This is the moment. Their life is on the line. The most powerful man in the world has them by their throats. The furnace is burning so hot that the guard in charge of turning up the heat got too close and he died right before their eyes. And these three men declare, that God is able to deliver us. They're not certain. They don't say God will deliver us. They say God is able to deliver us. Then they give a caveat here. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, O king, that we still won't bow down. That is honest. That is faith. That is an example. For these three young men, it was verdict first, Evidence second. What does that mean? It means I don't look at my bank account to find out if God provides. I've already come to the conclusion that he is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. It means I don't look at my doctor's health report to see if God is a healer. I already know he's a healer. Jehovah Rafika means God, my healer. He is my provider. He is my healer. That's the verdict. So no matter what the evidence says, 
I can find greater evidence in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So when he died for me, that settled it out of court. I don't need to take it to the judge or the jury. I already know God loves me. Faith is not the absence of doubt. You will have doubts, but your doubts don't have to be dead ends. I've got doubts, I've got questions, and I'm gonna trust him anyway. Faith is not saying, I won't ever walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Faith is saying, I won't die there. I'll press on, I'll keep going, I'll keep loving, I'll stay faithful, I'll cling to the promise. Even if I'm thrown into the fiery furnace, our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, O King, we want you to know we still won't bow down to your gods. I've got doubts. I've read the Bible. If there aren't times when you've doubted the Bible, then I'm not sure you're quite reading it. Doubt is the evidence of growth because the closer we get, the more questions we have. The great Father Richard Rohr says that faith is patience with mystery. If you have ever doubted God, you're human. It's normal. And if you have never doubted God, you are God, and you're going to end up worshiping yourself. There is a benefit of the doubt. There is a benefit to wrestling and struggling through the life of faith. And you might end up having a limp like Jacob, but you've encountered the divine, and you'll never be the same. Prodigal church will always be a place where it is safe to wrestle, to question, to be a skeptic. We want to let you know, skeptics are welcome. Father, we thank you for your love for us and we pray that we would seek you in the midst of our doubts and questions, that we would dig deeper. And God, we may not get all the answers to our questions and we might not be certain, but God, I pray that we would move towards you and towards love, even in the midst of our uncertainty. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, I want to reiterate how amazing our auction was last Friday. Thank you so much for those who donated, those who volunteered, those who came and spent money. We raised an incredible amount of money to further God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I'm so excited to see what God is going to do and how God is going to use this money to bless people in 2024 and in 2025. You are amazing. We hope you come back next week and watch us online for our Skeptics Welcome Week 2. God bless you. Peace. Peace.